Everything we do, we try to make it so it's actually enjoyable and meaningful for kids, which I think makes us really unique. We really believe that the kids' experience of protests, their experience of actions are as, if not more important than our own. Welcome to Climate Checks, stories and solutions for fighting climate change. We are part of 350 Brooklyn, an organization that strives to counter the climate crisis through local action. We work towards a world that is just, equitable, and sustainable, and where all beings can thrive. I'm Eva Dean, she, her, your host of Climate Check. I'm a climate activist and a Brooklyn-based choreographer. On today's episode, we're discussing climate activism for families with young children. Our guest is Liat Olenek, an elementary school science teacher and leader of Climate Families NYC. Climate Families organizes campaigns and actions that engage even the youngest New Yorkers and their adults in targeting the fossil fuel industry and its enablers. Hi, Liat. Hi. We're very happy to have you here today. And we're going to be talking about Climate Families NYC and your work that you do with elementary school children. Before we get started, could you introduce yourself with your pronouns? Sure. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, Liat Olenek, she, her. How did you get started in the climate movement? I got started through teaching. I'm a person who've always heard about children and went into environmental education and then classroom teaching early on. And as a person who loves kids and worries about kids, the more I learned about climate change, this was many years ago now, the more concerned about it I became until, you know, I found ultimately a community of activists after Trump's election and after the 2018 IPCC report when I was starting to really get terrified about what the future holds for all kids on this earth. Can I just pause mm -hmm. for a second? Yeah. Can you tell us what the acronym IPCC report is and just a brief yeah. overview of what that report was that frightened you into yeah. more action? Sure. So the IPCC is the International Panel on Climate Change, I think. <laughs> it's scientists issuing reports on the state of our climate and the planet. The gist of that report was we have 10 years and this is what needs to happen in 10 years. And I connected with Sunrise Movement and 350 Brooklyn actually started doing activism and through that found a group of moms who were doing climate activism with kids. And as an early childhood educator, I was already doing and talking about climate with my students. And it would just really appeal to me to the idea of doing this with kids and for kids and with families. And I started organizing with them. And I also just really liked them. And I felt like the the ethos of the group was moms don't have a lot of free time. Like if we're going to use whatever time we have wisely and and not, uh, not waste it and have super long meetings that don't lead anywhere. And we built Climate Families NYC together. And I also had my own child almost two years ago. And I think that has further motivated me to focus on climate action and climate organizing. You said that you like the ethos of the group and that being moms, you're you're going to get right down to business and not, not waste time. 
how did this work? We decided to do play dates. So it's a key format for us and how we build community is on a Saturday or Sunday morning, we meet at a playground somewhere in the city. We have actions that people can do, maybe letters or art making, and the kids play. And we have snacks and the grownups chat and the grownups do the actions. And we've been doing those for several years now. And they're a really great way to, to build that community and get to know each other. There's a core group of climate kids who they're excited to see each other now and play together. And they know when they go to a climate protest that their friends will be there. We try to build community, not so much through meetings, because those are mostly on Zoom, but through in-person actions and events that are fun and welcoming. What grade did you first teach environmental? What grade Uh, was that? My first classroom teaching job was in first grade. So they're five and six. And what's what's age appropriate for five and six-year-olds in teaching about the environmental crisis? I really believe that kids have a natural affinity for the natural world and for each other. And they also have a natural affinity for being helpers and being problem solvers. You know, they love to tackle a problem. They love to learn about things that are unfair and then feel like they're contributing to it. I don't believe in shying away from teaching kids of any age about the climate crisis. It's a fact of our world, like teaching kids to be safe crossing the street almost nothing that's going to impact their lives as much as climate change. And I think engaging them with it can be appropriate. That said, I also believe as an educator, kids need to feel safe at school. They need to feel safe with their families. So the way I engage with it is very intentionally trying to be age appropriate and obviously not traumatize children. So I think that has two levels. One is the language and how you talk about the problem and understanding what they're able to comprehend. A global problem is very abstract to a five-year-old. It's almost so abstract that it's going to be meaningless. But the idea that there are people who are polluting and that's not healthy for us, for people, plants, or animals, right? That's like a way of communicating the problem. Something unhealthy is happening. Here's what we can do to fix it. So always being solutions-oriented because... That way I'm helping to empower them and see themselves as agents of change rather than just saying this terrible thing is happening and, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. So I think that's one side of it, of like being very conscious in how I talk about it and being solutions oriented. But then the other side is really building that love, the love for community, for their friends, for their school, and also for the natural world, because that's where one It's a tremendous source of joy and support, obviously, for kids and something they deserve, regardless of climate change. But also, that's where, as they get older, they have to love what we're trying to save. They need to love themselves. They need to love their community. And they need to love the earth and understand that we're a part of it, right? The quote unquote environment is not separate from us. We are a part of it and we are dependent on it for our survival. So I think feeling that connection is really important to build in young kids. It sounds like you're fostering social emotional learning and love for each other. Very important to bring joy into it. When do you bring in the problem solving? I can think of an example from when I was teaching second grade, which is one of my favorite projects I've ever done where the second grade curriculum, at least at that time was learning about New York city and geography of the city 
So we did a field trip to Red Hook and we learned about Hurricane Sandy and the flooding that had happened in the neighborhood. They interviewed a friend of mine who lived in Red Hook at the time who had experienced the flooding. And then we took that back to the classroom and said, this is a problem because of climate change, right? That causes more frequent floods. How do we protect neighborhoods and protect New York City from flooding? And then we learned about all the various ways floods can be mitigated, essentially. So we learned about oysters and did a whole oyster investigation. We had oysters in the classroom. We did water filtration experiments. We learned about wetlands and the importance of restoring wetlands and built wetlands with foam and sponges and stuff to see how they absorb water. We learned about bioswales, and then we learned about seawalls. Kids in small groups had to decide which solution they wanted to choose and make an argument for that solution and then make a model of it to show how it would work to protect these different areas of New York City that we had learned about as part of the geography unit. They did a presentation for the parents also where they talked about their solutions and showed their models, and they were so excited about it. One, there was a lot of hands-on work that was just fun and they enjoyed it. But also, I think they were really excited to show their own solutions, the ones that they thought would really help in protecting neighborhoods. Well, I know that one of your actions was to participate in the March to End Fossil Fuels because we We chatted with you a little bit on that day. Can Mm -hmm. you talk about that action and how that all came together? Yeah, so that was a huge march that happened in New York City in September to end fossil fuels. It was a massive coalition of organizations that were putting it together, youth, labor, faith-based organizations, frontline organizations. Doubly exciting, I think, now with the news about Biden postponing the liquefied natural gas approval decision that just came out. Hopefully it's related to the big march. This is an action that you did with the parents. It started with meeting and making art, making a puppet. Oh yeah. Yes. So So, can you, cause this is where, this is where the joy and the fun and the, in my mind, I mean, I'm an artist, so I'm, I'm always going to lean into these art projects. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about that and talk about how that fosters community? Everything we do, we're trying to organize and build community because we know that relationships and community are what sustains people in activism over the long-term and the medium-term. So for this March, we decided to have our theme be dinosaurs with the message to Biden, don't be a dinosaur, connecting to fossils, ending fossil, fossil fuels. And to that end, we had an art build two weeks before the march where we had about 40, 45 people in the park making dinosaur hats and capes and I'm trying to think and tails, big dinosaur tails and painting signs. And so that was a great community building event before the march. And everything we do, we try to make it so it's actually enjoyable and meaningful for kids, which I think makes us really unique. There are a lot of groups out there that are representing parents or moms, but they're not as much focused on the actual experience of the kids being dragged to all these things. So we really believe that the kids 
like their experience of protests, their experience of actions are as if not more important than our own. So we took this big march and we said, how can we make this a kids and families event rather than kids having to stand there for three hours listening to grownups speak, you know, which is what a lot of protests are. So we did this art build. And then on the day of, we had a big, almost a whole block cordoned off that was full of all the materials we had made. So the dino hats, the tails, we also had scavenger hunts for the kids. We had snacks. We always have snacks. We had pizza. We had coffee. We had music. You know, we really did the works. And because of all the work we did leading up to this, we turned out about 400 people for our section of the march. How fabulous. Did, yeah. did you have some people join in that came to the march and then they saw how much fun you were having? I do remember meeting one family who was kind of lost, like they had gotten separated from their own contingent, but they were like, we're just going to stay here. This is great. Like, can we join you? <laughs> I think that definitely happened a few times because it was such a massive march. If you didn't get there early, you just were stuck wherever you were stuck. This march was a message to President Biden. Mm -hmm. And you you started by saying you hope that the actions that tens of thousands of people did at that march was to have him stop that LNG. I'm a big believer that activism and what movements do is cumulative. And what makes change is that it's the pressure continues over time rather than, you know, I, it's not like one protest and then you win. This was the biggest protest since the beginning of the COVID pandemic. It kind of kicked off a fall of various other actions that were focused on Biden. I don't know because Joe Biden hasn't called me and confirmed this. Well, you're uh, just waiting. Yeah. You're just I'll, waiting for that phone call. He can call me anytime, but it's hard not to think that that wasn't a part of laying the stage for like, this is what the movement is demanding now. And I think it was also significant that it was the march to end fossil fuels, not the march for climate action or whatever previous marches have been, because it was really focused on those fossil fuel approvals. In that sense, it was the first really, really large march to do that. And I'm hoping it had an impact. I'm going to go back to the IPCC, the 2018. You said the gist of that report is we have 10 years. We have a pretty steep hill to climb. This might be an unfair question to ask you, but how are we doing and what can we do? I'm not a climate scientist, but my sense is that we need to do a whole lot more and we're running out of time and the stakes are extremely high. I know we're on track for 2.5 to 3 degrees of warming. There's certainly been really good things that have happened in the last few years and some progress. I'm an activist, I'm an advocate, and I don't think this is a problem we're going to quote unquote solve and make go away. It's a lifelong effort of like protecting as many people as we can. That's how I think about it. What counts for you as progress or success in the climate movement and the activism that you do with Climate Families NYC? I'm a big believer that we just need to make the movement as big as possible and grow the number of people who are doing climate activism on a regular basis so that it's like impossible to ignore and it's a part of every community, every institution. You can't just pretend it's not happening or pretend that there's nothing you can do about it. So for me, a win is anything that helps build our base and build our community. There's other kinds of great things like passing climate legislation, which has happened in New York State 
over the past few years with the All Electric Buildings Act, the Build Public Renewables Act, even before that, the CLCPA. And there's always infinite more work to do. But personally, as a climate organizer, for me, yeah, a win is like, how are we bringing the most people in and leveraging all of those people effectively and not letting that energy that they're bringing dissipate? Hence the continued activities. We're really focused on very clear targets. We do these community events, but then we also, our campaigns are very focused either on the legislative side, very specific legislation that we're focused on, or on the finance side, we have clear targets for financial institutions that we're focused on. There's a lot of energy, especially among parents out there who are really worried about their kids and worried about the future, and they want to do something, and we're trying to be there to make sure that what they're doing is pushing a target that has the power to make change. This is probably a good time to ask about the Climate Families NYC, your action that you did last Mother's Day, Mm -hmm. targeting Jane Frazier, the CEO of Citibank. So this is an action with a target. Can you explain what you did as a group? We did this action and we have this focus on Jane Frazier because she is the CEO of Citibank, which is the second largest fossil fuel funding bank on earth. They also are the second biggest funder of fossil fuel extraction in the Amazon basin, the biggest fossil fuel funder in Africa. They recently did a deal with ExxonMobil and Saudi Aramco. They've given billions of dollars to those and other fossil fuel companies. So they're really one of the drivers of the climate crisis. On Mother's Day, we went to the Citibank headquarters. Jane Frazier is a mom. She has, I think, two kids who are in college or, or thereabouts. And we brought a giant card with the message for Jane, a happy Mother's Day card. And we did a chorus where we sang songs, mostly rewritten, you know, to popular songs. But we had live musical accompaniment. We had about 40, 45 moms all singing together. And we performed in the plaza of the Citibank headquarters, which is a semi-public park, essentially, where a lot of employees are kind of always out drinking coffee or whatever. And then we walked up to the entrance to try to deliver our card. They did not let us in. But the chief sustainability officer, Valerie Smith, did come out to talk to us and receive the card, claiming at least that she would deliver it to Jane. We've since followed up with many actions targeting Citibank and Jane Frazier. Most recently, we went to her very fancy West Village apartment building a few blocks from the headquarters and did a street protest outside the entrance, trying to be as loud as possible to wake her up to the impacts of her fossil fuel funding. Have you heard anything from her? We have heard from, like I said, Valerie Smith. We've encountered her at many times. She's a little bit of a firewall protecting the company from activists. There's been a lot of movement focus on City, uh, not just us. Many other organizations have been protesting them. And we know that they are noticing and paying attention, one, because they've intensely stepped up their security presence at the headquarters. And also, they actually are hiring someone the role is to basically engage with activists and the community. So they're trying to get someone to deal with us and make us go away, I assume. It sounds so unique 
to have you all out there singing songs yeah. to Jane Frazier. And an example of you're saying there are other organizations that are really trying to get Citibank to change their practices. And it links into what you said that you firmly believe in is, is having the volume of voices so loud that they can't ignore it anymore. Yeah. I also wanted to talk about your Green and Healthy Schools Initiative. Can you describe what it is and are there other groups involved? There are other groups involved. We are doing this initiative as part of Climate Works for All, which is a coalition that includes labor organizations, environmental justice organizations, and youth organizations. And we are pushing on multiple levels, essentially, for funding to upgrade school buildings, both to cut greenhouse gas emissions, but also to make the buildings healthier and more resilient for the kids and teachers and staff that are in them every day. We all saw the flooding that happened last year, the air quality crisis that happened, which kids are especially vulnerable to air pollution. Schools were impacted by all of that. Over 100 schools flooded in September. Schools had to close down during the air quality crisis. And then kids went back to school and the air quality was still not good. There's a lot that schools need to do in order to stay open for kids. That includes electrifying school buildings so they're not dependent on fossil fuels. It includes things like improving indoor air quality and ventilation systems so that when there is another air quality crisis, which we know there will be, because we know there are going to be more wildfires, that it's safe for kids to be in school. So we're pushing the mayor as part of this campaign to allocate the remaining money from a program called Leading the Charge, which is about upgrading school buildings. We're also asking Governor Hochul to include funding in the state budget for upgrading school buildings. And then finally, we are trying to push the city and the chancellor's office to apply for various grants that are available through the IRA and the federal infrastructure bill. It's such important work that you're doing with the Green and Healthy Schools Initiative. What else is coming up next for Climate Families NYC? Well, a lot. Too much, (laughs) probably, (laughs) for me personally. We, you know, we're very involved in New York Renews, so we are pushing for their New York State budget priorities, including funding for schools, as I mentioned, but also a you know, billion dollars for climate justice programs, the New York Heat Act, which we got really close to passing last year. So we are definitely planning some actions in February and March that are going to be focused on that and focused on pushing our state legislators and Governor Hochul to make sure those things are in the state budget. We also are going to continue to push Jane Frazier and Citibank. That's an ongoing campaign for us. So we will have actions coming up focused on her alongside many partners. Yeah, and we're excited about continuing to grow as a group We already have really hundreds of families that have come to Climate Families Actions. We have 1,200 people on our list, and it's a powerful force, and that's what we want to be, because the more parents that there are with us using our very unique 
emotional <laughs> leverage that we have of parents of, as young kids. It's hard for people to ignore toddlers protesting outside their homes. The more of us that there are, the more we can do and accomplish, and the more we can really push these powerful decision makers to either pass climate legislation or stop their banks from funding coal and funding fossil fuels. Liat, how can our listeners get involved with Climate Families NYC? And particularly, I think a good jump in point might be the play dates. Can you tell yeah. us how people can learn about the play dates and actions? How can they get involved? Definitely. The best way is to sign up for our email list, which people can do at climatefamiliesnyc.org. And that's also a good place to learn more about us and learn more about our banks campaign, the Green and Healthy Schools campaign, and everything that we're working on. We also post all of our events on our Instagram, which is at climatefamsnyc. We don't send 50 petitions or fundraising emails every week. We really try to communicate about things that we think are important and impactful and where parents are really needed to plug in. I am certain that Climate Families NYC would welcome grandparents, aunts, uncles, extended family. Yeah, absolutely. Family is a broad term. Caregivers of all kind, as in anyone who cares, are welcome to join us. We're actually really looking to consciously build our grandparent engagement, aunts and uncles engagement. And the other piece of that is it's really helpful to have adults at actions who aren't trying to wrangle a three-year-old, <laughs> <laughs> which is like many of our members. So yeah, we definitely welcome all kinds of people to our group. Is there anything else you want to say that we missed? It's really scary to think about the climate crisis right now. And it's also a moment in time where there's a lot of scary things happening all at once. And one of the things that I found so transformative and amazing about climate families is that we're not just contributing to climate families and volunteering and doing activism, but what we get out of it. And I think at this moment, we really need community and parents need other parents who are also thinking about climate and also trying to take action and also trying to navigate. How do I talk about this with my kids? What does it mean to be a good parent when the world is falling apart? How can I do my part? And the kids get a lot out of it too. Something we've talked about is instead of piano lessons or whatever, kids are coming to this and they're learning about civics, they're learning about government, they're learning about organizing and protest and finance, all kinds of things that they wouldn't otherwise engage in. And they're having a great time doing it. So it's so important to have a community around you when you're doing activism, because what we need is not showing up at a protest once and then you're done. We need people who are really committed. And to do that, you need community. So join our community. <laughs> We'd love to have you. Thank you, Leah. And thank you for your really fine work. Thank you. Really appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Climate Check, Stories and Solutions. Thanks for listening. To subscribe, go to climatecheck.fm. Climate Check is a production of 350 Brooklyn in Brooklyn, New York. Stay up to date with our releases by following 350 Brooklyn on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Our production team is George Ostro, Eva Dean, and Evelyn Mall. That's me. Our research and writing team is Mimi Bluestone and Audrey Stanton.
The music you are in this episode is from Blue Dot Sessions. 350 Brooklyn is a local affiliate of 350.org, a worldwide grassroots climate organization. Join us in finding solutions to counter climate change. <laughs>